0: Welcome to a special offering by Conversations with a Wounded Healer, the Burnt Out Practice Owner. This series will discuss the current state of group practice ownership, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll hear current and former practice owners' tales of glory and woe as we attempt to answer the ultimate question, why do we do this to ourselves? And we wanna hear from you too. What have been your biggest moments of struggle or triumph? What are questions you want us to explore? I'm your host Sarah Bueno. I owned and operated my practice head heart therapy for 10 years before selling in 2023. Ownership was an equally grueling and rewarding experience for me, and I now spend my time helping current practice owners find balance for themselves. Join us between releases of Conversations with the Wounded Healer for this special series. Hello and welcome to our new adventure of the burnt-out practice owner. I'm so excited you're here and I'm so excited to go on this journey with you. It's new. It's a new adventure. I feel like this is speaking to needs that are happening right now in the zeitgeist. So we're just going to see where it goes. And as we go along for this ride, I really, really, really do want to hear from you. So if you're a practice owner or not a practice owner, right, I think that it's really good to have exchanges with people who are either in the employee space, people who are thinking about becoming practice owners, just everyone on the spectrum. So if you have a question or a topic that you'd like to be discussed on the show, I need to hear from you. So you can email me at sarah at headheartbiztherapy.com or send me a DM on Instagram, which is headheartbiztherapy. I think you have to follow me to DM me, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. So reach out and let me know. I'm also hoping to have folks do a little quote-unquote call-in to the shows. So if there's a topic that you share with me and you email me, I might ask you to actually record your voice because I want to actually have listeners hear, hear from you and not just hear your words. So think about it, pray about it, shoot me a message. So today's guest, she came right to the front of my brain the second I thought I might do the special podcast series. Her name is Gabrielle Giuliano Villani, and she's a licensed clinical social worker, consultant, coach, entrepreneur, and educator based in Sarasota, Florida. She's been in the mental health field for over a decade, specializing in stress, chronic health conditions, and trauma. After scaling her group practice to seven figures and realizing her own burnout in 2021, she sold her practice and made it her mission to educate others on the impact that stress has on our everyday lives. So please enjoy this special episode of The Burnt Out Practice Owner with Gabrielle.
1: We're here. We're ready. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, despite Mercury retrograde. Hello, Gabrielle. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to The Burnt Out Practice Owner. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and this is the inaugural interview. We, I don't really know what I'm doing, so I appreciate that you were willing to sort of play with me and like see what comes up out of this. But you were the first person I thought of that I I wanted to talk to.
1: I am honored, actually. And I'm really excited to be here and to hopefully share some like nice juicy nuggets for folks who are listening.
0: Yeah. So do you want to tell people what you're doing now? Yeah. So
1: Like a good little neurodivergent chick. I am what they call multi-passionate. So I do a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) The main things being coaching and consulting and training for people who want to scale and sell their business without burning out. And I integrate some intuitive pieces into that and also largely polyvagal theory and nervous system regulation. And I also run retreats on burnout prevention using polyvagal theory. And then on the other side of the spectrum, I do consulting and training on Medicare. Fantastic. Amazing.
0: Helpful stuff. So... Let's talk about you were a practice owner, right? And you decided to sell your practice. And as we talked before we started recording, that is the number one question I get from people is how did you know it was time?
1: Yeah. So that's the, you know, the most asked question, of course, always like both of us probably get. And my practice was in Colorado. I live in Florida now. And I had my first client January 2018. And because my niche was Medicare, and there are no Medicare providers, I grew very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I decided to hire somebody because kind of like just happened. One of my Zumba students was like, that's a great way that you should scale. And I know a social worker who would love to work with you. And so that's what I did. (laughs) And Grew again. She got full, kept growing, and it all just happened very quickly. And before I knew it, it was 2021, and I had 15 people working for me and seven figures in revenue. And I hated my life. And I first had the thought of selling (laughs) in like spring of 21. I was talking to a friend, and she's also like my mentor and my coach, actually, and she's in a totally different industry. And I was like, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. And she mentioned selling. And I didn't even think that was an option. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of ran some like math on the back of a napkin. I was like, I don't think that's worth it. So I continued on. And I did some things that I thought would help, like delegating more, and putting some different systems into place. But in July of 2021, the universe answered me. And I got a voicemail from somebody who said, we want to acquire your practice. And of course, I did some Googling and researching, and that's who did end up buying me. But the ways that I knew was, first of all, I thought that was a sign. And second of all, I really did hate my life. I woke up every single day with dread. I was afraid to look at my phone. If somebody needed Mm -hmm. something from me, my first answer in my head was like, fuck you, I don't have anything (laughs) left to give. Can't relate. Yeah, yeah. And that's not fair. That's not fair to my staff. And even to my clients, because I don't see clients anymore either. I had a really hard time in session. I would be looking at the clock and being like, how am I going to make it another 45 minutes? Like, I don't Mm. know how I'm going to do this. And so those were all really big red flags to me of course, that something was not right. But the apathy was the biggest one where I was like, it is time to do something else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The feeling for me was just like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And then once you're done, you get an amount of senioritis. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For me, like it was less apathy and more like just itchiness. But definitely, I relate to that irritability. And that just like... It's like the exhaustion of I am too needed. And yes. I, I would say that to my husband all the time. Like, I am so tired of being needed every mm-hmm. single second of every day. Yep. Like that was just too exhausting for me. Oh, my God. I relate to that so much because that
1: is just exactly what it was. It was like, I can't. I don't have anything left to give. And like, I just can't. And it, that's exactly how it felt. Like I said the same thing. Like, you just need me. And it's too much. Like I I can't. It's just too overwhelming. And it took me actually a long time, I think, to get to the point of feeling done. Once I got there, I had the same thing where I was like, yeah, let's just move this bitch along. I'm ready. (laughs) I'm done now. But I had a really hard time with that at first. I waffled back and forth. Mm. I was like, what am I going to do if I'm not in simple practice every day looking at everybody's calendar and doing billing? And Once I had that epiphany, which actually my broker kind of helped me with, of like, this is just one chapter in the book of your life. What do the other chapters look like? And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I can do something else. And I want to.
0: Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think some owners who sell go on to do consulting like we do, and some just go back into solo practice, right? And some do completely other things and change careers. Like I know someone who's like, I'm selling my practice and opening a flower shop, right? Like, so there's no no one right way to do it. There's no answer. I think that that is just going to be within every person because it'll be different.
1: It will be. And that I hope that people hear really hear what you just said because there are no shoulds. And yeah. people sell for two reasons usually they either sell for lifestyle or they sell for money. Yeah. And so you probably need to figure out what that looks like. And you're allowed to sell for lifestyle. If it doesn't fit with you anymore, you can do that. And my process too was like, if this sale doesn't happen, I'm just going to dissolve it and I am going to do something else. And that's totally fine
0: Yeah, and allowed. Would you mind, I, this just came to me as you started talking, because I think people want to know numbers and I'm happy to share my numbers. Like, I don't know if you're comfortable with that. Like, what did you sell for? I can't
1: say that because I signed an NDA. Oh,
0: okay.
1: What I can say is like my, um, what can I say? I can say that I sold
0: <laughs> close to five times my EBITDA. <laughs> Funny, right. And EBITDA is a, some sort of magical number we come up with for how much our businesses are worth. And so did you do like a full valuation and all of that? I
1: kind of did mine backwards because okay. the buyer came to me. And so I did do a full valuation, but it was kind of after we had already been talking and I already had a an LOI, which for people listening is a letter of intent, which means that they intend to buy your practice. So I did do a full valuation, but it was like after the fact to make sure that things were in alignment because I already had a buyer. And did they come to you with a price already? Did the LOI like state what the price was? It did. And Okay. Yeah, I know. And we had had talks before the LOI as well. Like We signed an NDA. We met in person. We went through numbers. They looked at my taxes and my profit and loss for the last couple of years. And that's kind of how we came to that number. So it did make sense.
0: Cool. So can you talk a little bit about scaling? Because I actually have had two people come to me in the past week saying, I want to sell. And truthfully, this is not my specialty, so I should send them to you if they really want to try to f- figure out how to scale. And it was just my sense that they were not in a place where someone would be willing to buy it. So what what does that even look like, somebody trying to get ready to have their practice be acquired? Great
1: question. And I think that happens a lot. People will come
0: to me too, and they're like, I want to sell.
1: And I'm like, well... You just started two years ago and you know there's, yeah. there's things that need to be in place. It's like a long game. And so it doesn't really solve a lot of the problems. I will also say that. But to answer your question, things that you want to have in place are you need to have reoccurring income. And so that's usually pretty easy in our industry because we have clients that we see every single week that we're billing insurance for or that they're paying you privately for, whatever that looks like. And you want to be as like not very involved in the business as you can be. Mm-hmm. So if you are a business owner and you're still seeing 30 clients a week, we can't. Yeah. No. Like the revenue can't be dependent right. on you. So you want to have a leadership team. You want to be very organized and streamlined. So like Using simple practice and then using Zoom for telehealth, like try and make things as efficient and streamlined as you can. You want to have really clean books and keep really good records of everything that happens. You want to have standard operating procedures in place and you want to be profitable. So, those are kind of like the main things to think about mm-hmm. if you're thinking about selling. And so, and sometimes people will come to me and they're like, it's just them and they want to sell their practice and it doesn't unfortunately really work that way. It doesn't work that way. Right. All the clients are yours. Right. <laughs> They're tied to you.
0: <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Do you think that there's a, a range of gross income that... And I guess you're really speaking from like a company acquiring, right? Like my situation is Mm -hmm. different because I just sold to a person from my business. But when a company is coming to sort of look and evaluate whether your your business is something they want to acquire or not, is there a certain revenue number? Do they want to automatically see above a million in gross revenue?
1: They probably do if we're talking about more like private equity situation. Yes. Mm -hmm. Although I do feel like they're there are buyers out there for everybody. But yeah, you, I mean, in some sense, right? You want to definitely be having at least probably 500K in revenue. I think if you're thinking about selling, but that is what brokers are for. If you don't have somebody that you know that wants to buy it, that's what they do. They find you somebody. And so it might take more time But there are people out there Mm -hmm. who are looking to buy smaller practices. Somebody just emailed me yesterday and she's like, I'm thinking of buying like a a small practice in these certain states. So Mm. don't be put off if you don't have like this huge giant conglomerate (laughs) group practice that Mm -hmm. you still may be able to find somebody who will buy it. And you can go on and do whatever it is that you want to do.
0: And something I was talking with, because I was consulting with a practice owner, we were sort of trying to like spitball different ideas. And one of her ideas was, oh, what if some of the practices in our area decided to merge? Have you ever worked with people on that, like merging with other practices so that there's more support at the top?
1: I think that's a good idea. And I've heard other people talk about that as
0: well. Mm -hmm.
1: I have not worked directly with somebody who's done that, but more about people who have talked about doing it. And then usually they just haven't moved forward because it was just didn't align or they felt like it was better either to just completely exit. So, I think it is a good idea though that there will be more support there as you keep growing.
0: Yeah. What are other creative ideas that you've heard people come up with? Like, I mean, basically I just think are the options only to sell or dissolve or are there other creative things like merging or something else that you've you've heard of?
1: you could sell to your employees like more like you did or like multiple employees i've heard people again i've worked with folks who were considering doing this and then they didn't want to because they were like well none of them can afford to pay me and nobody can really anyway that's another thing when you sell it's not always cash up front but they didn't want to be involved yes <laughs> mine that's
0: that's yeah. mine i am not cash yeah. up front i get cash over time yep.
1: <laughs> yes mm-hmm. so that's another mm-hmm. thing and so a lot of people are like, I can't deal with that. I just, I don't want to be involved for the next five or even 10 years. Mm-hmm. But something that I think it's okay that I say his name. He talked about it in my Facebook group and we did a live. So I'm assuming okay. it's okay. Is Uriah from the Productive Therapist. <laughs> he is switching to doing more of like a, like a collaborative yeah. co-op situation. Yeah. So that's another creative way where you could switch things around where you won't have to be as involved. And, you know, so everybody's like switching to a 1099 and they're going to be paying for services basically, and he's not going to have to be managing personnel. And he also was very transparent about, you know, the profit margin is going to be a lot smaller, but he also has a second business that he really enjoys running that, Mm -hmm. you know, is more revenue for him.
0: Yeah. Well, and I've heard, and this this probably came from Maureen Werbach, that group practices generally, you know, the the average is hovering around ten percent profit margin. Is that what you've heard as well?
1: I think it depends on your size. Yeah. That seems about right though. Mm-hmm. If you're at twenty percent, you're doing real good.
0: <laughs> so Or you're paying your people <laughs> not very well. <laughs> yes <laughs> also that right <laughs> right well and it's it's interesting to this idea of like going back to more of a collaborative cuz that's kind of where all of this started like when i started my practice end of 2013, it was solo. And then right after that, I filled up really quickly. Same thing as you and was just like, oh, sure. I'll just bring somebody else on to you know help. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even thinking about profit. I was just like, you don't want to do the admin. I like the admin. So let's just do this. And it was a 1099. At that time across the country, everybody was doing 1099s. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was about six years ago where on the Facebook groups, I started to see people panicking about getting (laughs) caught by the IRS and being dinged, right? And (laughs) to pay a lot of money. And so then it was funny because I had a small cohort of group practice owners that we would all like collaborate together. And we had somebody's lawyer come in. We were sobbing in that meeting because we were so scared. (laughs) We were, it's so funny, to like take on the burden, right, truthfully of having to provide insurance and like all of these other things. And, you know, it was just new. We didn't know how to do it. And so now there are all these group practices who are having W-2s. We're doing it the quote unquote right way, but it's a lot more expensive and it's a lot more, for me, it was a lot more emotionally draining And yet if we hadn't done that before the pandemic, no one would have stayed with me. I think everybody would have done their own Mm -hmm. thing because they're like, you're not helping me anyway, so I might as well just leave. So it was a good thing at that point in time, but it's like, it's really interesting how things have shifted. And now going back to the collaborative model is sort of kind of where we started, but I think people are just going to have to be a lot more careful how they are presenting themselves because that's how people got in trouble in the first place. Yes. And I even
1: somebody sent me a website of some practice somewhere that's doing this already. And even there, it's very unclear. Because I was like, I don't really see how this is a collaborative. It doesn't sound like it at all. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. yes, wow. be careful if you're going to go that route. And it's hard. like, because, And that's why I did W-2, because I knew I couldn't treat them like contractors. We took Medicaid and Medicare. Right. I had to tell them right. how to do their job. <laughs> and that, And yeah. I also felt like I wanted to build something. I wanted to build community and I wanted them to have a good culture where we were all very close-knit and they felt valued there,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but it was just like you just said, it was way more stressful on me, on the owner.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and truthfully too, I don't know if you've seen this shift in, in Florida, but in Chicago, everything has shifted to where group practices are now hiring people directly out of school they can't, A, A, they can't be independent contractors because they're not independently licensed and B, they're not ready to work independently. So like, you know, I think people who are going to want to shift to this collaborative model, obviously they may still have to have W-2s, but I mean, it's been a struggle for people in Chicago to hire seasoned clinicians. They're just all going into individual practice these days.
1: I have seen the exact same thing. So I agree. And also the past couple of months, I have am seeing a little bit more of a shift. I just, one of my clients just hired three people and they were all fully licensed. And I think that there is a little bit of a shift happening because a lot of people who went into practice for themselves used the Headways or the Almas or the Better Helps and all that shit and (laughs) realized this sucks. (laughs) And actually, no. And I mean, I guess, you know, it's a little bit different with if I were thinking about like BetterHelp or Talkspace. But I think people are seeing like when, you know, if you use something like Headway, that you are still a business owner and you still have to deal with taxes. Right. And you still have to deal with marketing and all of those things and so i think people are seeing like maybe this is not for me. So i, I am seeing a little bit of a shift now going back. Mm-hmm. But generally yeah, it's difficult.
0: Yeah, that'll be interesting. And th- and that leads into one of the questions i wanted to ask is like what are you predicting for trends? Is there anything that you're seeing that you think is coming on the on the horizon?
1: I do think that people are getting done with like the big box mental health companies. And so I do think it's going to be a little bit easier to hire as group practice owners. Like I think you'll be able to, I don't know if it's going to be easy, but I think it'll be a little bit easier than it has been where it was just like completely like there are no independently licensed people who want to work for group practices. I think we're going to see that shift a little bit again. And I think we'll continue to see the hiring of what we were just talking about provisionally licensed folks or people who are just getting out of grad school. And yes, they do need to be W-2 employees if you're going to do that.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, we we had also a breakdown on the Facebook groups recently about people coming forward realizing that they had been exploited because they were classified as 1099s. But I guess the other thing I want to say, too, like, and I want to be really gentle with how I say this is you know, employees coming to work for us don't know what they're talking about. And I don't say that because they're dumb or like not smart, but Mm -hmm. you know, we, who teaches you in school, like what your classification is supposed to be, right? Usually you just go to a corporation, they give you these forms to fill out, and then you go to work. When it's a small business, you don't know if the business owner knows what they're doing. And so because, you know, some of these new fresh grads are coming in, and they're just, they just want to do therapy, right? So A, they don't know what classification they're supposed to be. B, they don't know what a fair wage is. Like we're we're having people coming straight out of a school interviewing and and saying like, I demand an eighty thousand dollar a year salary. And we're like, Well, sorry, that's not that is not what we can pay at a group practice in Chicago. Like you can definitely make that Mm -hmm. on your own once you you know have your fully licensed. But you know, it's it seems to hover between fifty and seventy for the new folks, which is a, it's a decent wage and we're in a terrible inflation time where it doesn't feel like a decent wage. So there's just so many factors to be considered that like employees just don't know. And also a lot of employers don't know. Mm
1: -hmm. A lot of employers don't. And like, I think we have this different perspective because when you're on social media and you're in Facebook and you're in those groups and you see all the things that people are saying you see that. right? But there's lots of people who have nothing to do with any of that. And they have no clue what's happening. I see people all the time, like in different forums, like on the NASW, or I just saw somebody on LinkedIn, who I thought she had like a very, like thriving practice. And she posted and she was like, I just left better help. And I was like, Mm. what? (laughs) Like, Really? I didn't think that anybody was doing that. Like she just didn't seem like the type of person to do that, but if you don't know, you don't know, right? So we are in a, a different place where we like have more information available to us. And I've also seen the same thing in Colorado, like right kind of around the time I sold provisional licenses, or people who had just graduated. And she was like, "Yeah, I want seventy five k and six weeks off a year." And I'm like, "I would love to give you all of those things, but right. like, <laughs> I I can't." At this point. And so, yeah, it's a a tough place. It's a tough place to be in. But I also think that people value culture and stability Mm -hmm. and also are thinking about other ways to make money than just doing Mm one-on-one therapy.
0: Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, is there any advice that you would leave a burnt-out practice owner with? (laughs) Right. Where to begin? Like
1: there's so much. Listen, (laughs) there's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Listen. (laughs) I, I think really, and I know that you and I are the same about what I'm about to say, you really need to work on your shit. Your people pleasing, your codependency, your boundaries, your lack of understanding leadership, you need to figure that out. And you are a CEO. Okay. It doesn't mean yeah. you're some narcissistic asshole, but it does mean that you have to balance treating your business like a business and not bending over backwards and paying people more than yeah. you can pay because you know what ends up happening is it comes back on you and you're the one who's going to have to file bankruptcy or dissolve your business because you can't yep. pay people. So, I got real passionate real quick there. (laughs) But that's the truth Mm -hmm. is like people come to me and they're like, I want help scaling and growing my group practice. And what it really is, is more mindset work and understanding your values and, you know, having your business and your personal values line up because those are the things that lead to burnout. Right. So paying attention to all of those things. And also, this is going to sound really cheesy, but like you can have your life be however you want it to be. Like, if the group practicing is not for you, that's okay. If it is for yeah. you, that's okay too. I decided that it wasn't. And I felt a lot of shame about that because a lot of messaging that I got was like, you're a failure. Yeah. And if you were a true entrepreneur, you would just push through and keep building this thing. And mm-hmm. that's not what I wanted to do. And now, I get to work how I want, when I want, and where I want, which is really important to yeah. me because traveling and having freedom are some of my values. And you can align your career and your business with all of those things. And you don't need to pressure yourself into right, the shoulds. Right. And my TED Talk is
0: complete. <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and listen to your intuition.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. I guess that's what I'm seeing a lot is people who are hearing that voice say, I'm done, and they're struggling to trust it or they're struggling to – I think there's a big question mark about what comes next, and you have to be able to swim in that question in the process, right? Yes. Like you and I were both just okay. talking before this, like, we still don't really know what we're doing because we'll do a little bit of everything and anything. Mm-hmm. And so it's an unknown. And if I know therapists, one thing I know about them is they are fearful people. Yes. They are a fearful people. They do not like risk, but this involves risk, whether it's dissolving or selling to make a choice to end one business and then potentially start another. We just, you just, you never know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. A hundred times yes to all
1: of that. And there is a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of fear and we, you have to be okay with a little bit of that and a little bit of risk. Right. That's, that's part of it. And that goes back to the same thing when people come to me or probably to you for consulting or coaching, like you have to weather the storm a little bit. Yeah. People are going to quit. Yep. They're going to leave. There's going to be shit will happen and you have to be okay with the shit happening and having good coping skills in place instead of freaking out every single time. And I mean, that's normal. Like stress happens and we respond to stress. But if you are living in a fight or flight zone, not good. Not good. Not good at all.
0: (laughs) And it's hard. I feel like it's harder when you're holding so many different pieces to not be in that fight or flight place. And and I'm just curious your thoughts on this. I have I've felt like there's a certain temperament that is more suited to business ownership and management and temperaments that just aren't. And I feel like the those of us who are people pleasers in recovery are always gonna struggle as Business owners, because that just it keeps pulling on that that childhood wound, right?
1: <laughs> it does, and it's so funny that you bring this up because this still comes up for me mm-hmm. as a recovering people pleaser. And even recently, I was working on a, a project. I guess it would be a consulting project, like a one time thing. And this person was micromanaging me, and honestly, just kind of being a bully. Mm. And I just kept bending and bending. And my same friend that I was talking about before, she was like, remember, you're in the driver's seat. You're a contractor. You can say no. You can say, I'm not going to follow through with this. Like, here's the work that I've done. And that's it. And that was just a good reminder to me. Like, again, like, step into your power. I can say no. It's okay Mm -hmm. to say no. No. And so that is
0: a constant reminder, even yeah. now that I'm doing different work. Well, I think especially when you're doing different work, yeah. because we're like, there's the part of us that's like, oh, shit, I still need to make some money here. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. So I'm just going <laughs> to say but yes. I don't want to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Totally.
1: Yeah. And I have to listen to those parts. And I have to remember that when I say no, I'm opening other doors for things that are better in alignment with what I that's do. That's right. Damn straight. Well, how
0: can people find you?
1: I'm pretty easy to find because I have a very long name. So (laughs) if you want to come with me to Belize on a retreat, or you want some coaching and consulting, or if you want some sound healing, that's the other thing I do. You can find me at Gabrielle Giuliano. I know that's lovely. com. It's the same on Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Instagram is at GJV Consulting. And if you need help with Medicare, which I know a lot of people are freaking out about that yeah. right now, Medicare Consulting for Therapists com. I'm happy to help not scary I promise
0: amazing well thank you so much for being my first and we will have you on again we'll be talking about all the things we
1: could have talked I feel like for another six hours but I think that we got through a lot of stuff and I hope it's helpful and thank you again for having me as number one I'm excited (laughs) Yay!
0: thanks for listening to the special burnt out practice owner series if you want more information about today's guest go to our website at www.headheartbiztherapy.com podcast. Thanks to the Creative Imposter Studios for editing. And I'm your host, Sarah Buino. Until next time. Bye-bye.